0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Today's episode, we're going to be breaking down some of the lessons that we just learned from this big creator event we were at.
1: Today on the show, we're going to be talking about how to become a better storyteller. We're also going to dive into the kind of sometimes scary world of artificial intelligence and how it will impact creators. Then, as always, on the creator support edition of The Colin and Samir Show, we're going to answer some questions
0: from all of you. Also, Colin, we are in a completely new set right now. It looks like the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. It's really, in here. it's crazy. It is fancy. It is fancy. We will post some photos of this, but we are trying to figure out exactly how our new set's going to show up in our in our new studio. And it's almost like overwhelming to just see this lighting grid and everything that we're it's, in. You guys can't see it right now because you're listening to this, but this this will be on camera soon. It's overwhelmingly fancy. All right, if you get to the deep end, let us know. You know, like even if it's an hour flight and I showered right before I get off an airplane and I'm like, I need to shower. I feel gross right now. Yeah. But like we just flew an hour. I don't really uh, accept that from you because you
1: also are someone who loves going to the bathroom on airplanes. Yeah, I do. Which makes me think like you're just a maniac. It's it's your own private space. Because if you feel gross Uh after a flight. Yes. It's because you love sitting in the bathroom on an airplane. (laughs) That's why.
0: All right. That's your problem. Dude, it's your own private space. Everywhere else is like, you know, okay. a, p- a public park. It's a community space <laughs> that you get
1: to use for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No.
0: Okay. That's fair. Um, I'm glad that's settled. There, uh, yeah. All right. Um, well. Welcome to, w- show, w- welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome um, to the show, everybody. Colin and I are fresh off the airplane from San Francisco. We're actually up in Northern California for probably the best creator event I've been to. I'm just going to say that. What a wonderful time. What an event. We just had. Okay. So this event was put on by Spotter and Colin and I helped out with the programming of this event. Uh, we've, We've just entered into a partnership for this year with Spotter. So we're really excited about that. It's a really great company and even more so a really great team at Spotter. And they had this idea of putting together a summit. Now, there's a lot of creator summits that go down and it's hard to differentiate. So, you know, we'll talk about some of the people that that came to this event from a creator perspective. You know, we got to spend time with Mr. Beast. Uh, he was there. We got to spend time with Eric, we got to spend time with Carter Scher, uh, Lizzie Capri, Jordan Matter, Dude Perfect, Dude Perfect, Destroying. Destroying, like this is this was a a, you know, rock solid all star group of creators that we got to spend time with. Colin and I, we got to host, host Fireside Chats, speak to the creators, but also be a part of the group, which was really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, a a lot of it was about giving creators a time to set goals and really plan and think about uh, what are the things that really matter to us this year. Mm -hmm. And so, like Samir said, we got to sort of take part in that as well. And that was Mm -hmm. hugely beneficial to just have that time to think about what we want to
0: do. Okay, so quickly, if you don't know what Spotter does, Spotter is a company that licenses creators back catalogs. And, you know, if if you zoom out, what they do is they really provide creators with financing and capital to accelerate what they're trying to do. As well as a bit of information Mm -hmm. and guidance. And I don't want to
1: name names when it comes to creators, but the way I think about it is like it's, it's the information and the financing to go to that next level. If a creator ever makes a big investment in, maybe land or a studio uh, or launching a product. Like those are the types of jumps. It's almost like, you know, you don't have to when you take the financing, but a lot of the creators, it gives them the peace of mind to then make the bigger decisions that take longer to think about, take longer to execute. And a lot of those are like launching a new brand, launching a new product, investing in a new studio. That's where Spotter really helps and supports.
0: Yeah, and specifically, if you you actually want to, read some of these stories about how creators are engaging with this capital and why they're making this decision. If you go to spotter's website, spotter.com, and then they have a creators tab, you can scroll down. There's a case study on Iraq case study on Mr. Beast. Like what Jimmy did is he took some of the capital on one of his deals, his third deal with spotter. He took some of the capital, uh, and used it to finance Mr. Beast and Espanol because dubbing was so expensive. What's really interesting is now we're entering into this world where creators are much more sophisticated and capital is actually required for everything. It's required to produce the videos. It's required for the teams. It's required to expand your brand beyond just the video content. And that's what I really appreciate about this past weekend. What we did was, yes, spotters doing these deals to give creators capital. But to go on top of that, it's like, here's some here's knowledge, expertise, and community as well amongst the creators to say hey how are you building or what are the problems you're facing and it's something that Jimmy talked about with our first interview with him it's like w- when you do that when you get people together you actually get to have accelerated learning cuz something that someone learned you know this year and something that like something that dude perfect's going through and something that destroying's going through putting them in the same space now they get to share that knowledge and all of a sudden jump ahead Agreed. There's definitely an
1: acceleration that takes place when you're around other creators, but I actually think one of the things that I loved most about this summit was uh, the people who came to speak who are adjacent to the creator community here on YouTube or even outside of it. For me, that's sometimes the most valuable because it's an unexpected input to your creative process that all of a sudden makes you think in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I want to go over is some of the things that we learned from some of the people
0: that spoke. Yeah, I mean, this was a unbelievable group of speakers. The first day when we opened, we got to hear from Matthew Lunn. Now, Matthew Lunn was a storyteller at Pixar for over 20 years. And he was able to come in with this crazy knowledge. Like one thing that I, I really appreciate when you think about Pixar and the stories that he talked about, like he talked about Up, Up is a movie that was seen by millions and millions of people, but it came out once and we all still talk about it today, or you can remember it. You can be a fan of Up. And I think there's something really powerful hearing from someone who tells stories that can last for a really long time to a group of people who are telling stories on a weekly basis, you know, because like at the end of the day, we're all actually trying to build brands with these stories that we're telling that can last longer than just the week in the first week of that release. So Let's talk a little bit about, like, some of the lessons we learned from Matthew Lund. One of
1: my favorite things that he said was that, you know, people are left with a feeling, not exactly what you said or what you did. Mm. And I agree. Like, when I think about even this weekend that we just had, I think about how it made me feel, not always all the intricacies of what happened. Like, we're going over those right now. But truly, when I look back at this weekend uh, or some of my favorite creators, it's just about how they make me feel, not necessarily the exact things that they did. Um, so I like that framework of, you know, what you want to emphasize is like the feeling, mm-hmm. not not exactly the core concept. And I, what I liked was that he sort of proved that it can happen in a short amount of time because I understand how, you know, you can watch an hour and a half of a movie, like Finding Nemo, and be sitting there in tears. True, true story. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's an impactful film. But I sometimes assume that it's easier to do in an hour and a half, and it's more difficult to do in a, in a five or a 10 minute YouTube video. And what was cool was he broke down the first 10 minutes of the movie up, like you were saying, which actually has no dialogue. It's just visual scenes. And he talked about the power of visual storytelling, about how that's the most compelling. Mm-hmm. He talked about how there's all these different senses that we have that can you know, usher in a different feeling, whether you come into a room and it smells like fresh baked cookies, like that's gonna make you feel a certain type mm-hmm. of way. Uh, or if he said, if you go into a hotel and it smells bad, all of a sudden you're thinking this might not be a great night's sleep, right? Yeah, Like there are stories that all these different senses uh, can tell you and getting back to that first 10 minutes of up, he breaks down just the visuals of this sequence and why it makes you happy and why it eventually makes you cry. And the reason that everyone really cries in that first 10 minutes is because of this up and down nature of making people happy. Uh, releasing dopamine, and then right after, you know, when when they're feeling that dopamine, they have this anticipation mm-hmm. of something good that's going to happen. When that doesn't happen, when that expectation isn't met, and something bad happens, they release oxytocin. Mm-hmm. And that it truly is like the science of powerful storytelling. That when you have these two contrasting elements that speak to a universal human theme and trope that we all go through, it's like a science. It Mm -hmm. can result in truly that choked up feeling he said that you have in the back of your throat.
0: Yeah. When, when dopamine goes straight to oxytocin, that's what makes you choke up. Mm -hmm. The immediate. I loved when he said like dopamine is anticipation. Uh, And something that I realized was I was writing notes about this when he was talking. And what I realized is like a joke. A joke is fun because of the journey to the punchline. It's not necessarily like if you just said the punchline, it's not funny. And if, if it goes really quick to the punchline, it's not that funny. What's fun is the anticipation to get there. And that's what releases the dopamine of like, Oh, that's, that was so funny. That was exciting. And I think that's a really important thing in storytelling is like you keep people going and going and going this anticipation. He specifically talked about an up the concept of in the beginning, like the old man who, or who eventually becomes the old man meets, you know, his wife and, um, they get a house and their dream is to have a kid and they're really excited to have a kid. And then all of a sudden, like you're anticipating it, you're anticipating it and then all of a sudden you find out she can't have a kid. Boom. Oxytocin. And then they're like, you know what? Let's move on from that. Let's save up to go to paradise falls, like on a vacation. So now dopamine comes up. They're putting coins into this jar to save up enough money to go on this dream adventure. And then boom, she dies. It's like mm-hmm. intense, dopamine, oxytocin, dopamine, oxytocin. And the simplest way to say, to think about this is like, as you're writing your stories, as you're sharing stuff for YouTube, think about like up, down, up, down, up, down. Like if you're on a big up, then make sure it's contrasted with the down. That's what keeps the story moving.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't always need to be these really intense human moments or emotions. It truly can be just elements that contrast, you know, mm-hmm. if, if the climax of your story you want it to hit hard then before it maybe the music track should be soft or even non-existent and then Mm -hmm. pick a song that really is loud hits hard is fast-paced right after it it'll i don't know if it was you or whoever said this but there's no loud without quiet right there's no hot without cold
0: that was me okay yeah i said maybe it was you there was a day where you and i got really hyped up in our 200 square foot spring street office in downtown la do you remember this yeah <laughs> and we made an entire video about that uh but yeah that's that's the base premise okay so now we get to like A Q&A portion of this conversation and jimmy raises his hand and asks matthew he says how do you tell a story that appeals to everyone the more niche that the internet is getting how can you make videos that that appeal to everyone now of course Jimmy's kind of doing this, like he's he's talking to 200 million people. But of course, in his mind, he's like, that's not everyone. You know, <laughs> he's like, how do you appeal to everyone? And Matthew answered in a really specific way. He said that, well, okay, there's three types of stories that appeal to everyone or three characteristics of stories that appeal to everyone. Universal storytelling uh, includes, number one, the desire for love, the desire for security and safety, and the desire for freedom of choice. Those are the three types of stories that appeal to everyone. And those are really broad, but it's a really interesting thing to take a step back as you're crafting your story and say, what is this story about? Is this about love? Is this about safety and security? Or is this about freedom of choice? It's it's something that I'm recognizing that when we talk to creators, when we interview creators, a lot of what we're tapping into is the desire for freedom of choice. People who have taken something that they love to do and turned it into making a living, something they can do every day. That taps into safety and security, right? I get a secure paycheck from this thing. Plus, I have the freedom every day to choose what I wanna do.
1: I actually think with the piece that we made about Jimmy, the 24 hours of Mr. Beast, it actually was more about the desire for love, love. in a way. Yeah of making sure that he doesn't let everyone down, Mm -hmm. that they still view him the way that he wants them to view him and that they have that feeling towards him.
0: I think tapping into those emotions is what unlocks scale in storytelling. And I'd never thought about it like that. And I think it's like really, really interesting framework to always think about those three tropes of universal storytelling. Okay. Now the third thing from Matthew Lund that I wanted to talk about that really struck me was he talked about how to build a creative team. And he put something on the screen where he said, endorphins, not cortisol. And what he was talking about was when you're leading a creative team, you don't wanna induce a lot of stress into that team. What you wanna do is create endorphins, like create experiences that are rewarding, that feel good. And he
1: actually even recommended making sure your creative team gets outside yeah, often to actually release endorphins, Mm -hmm. like ride a bike, Mm -hmm. move.
0: Yeah. Because he felt it was that important to being able to create freely. He talked about when he was working at Pixar, Steve Jobs put the bathrooms all together on the bottom floor. And he did this to ensure that all the different teams would get out of their offices and go downstairs to go to the bathroom. And that created sounds like a
1: major gripe, if you ask me.
0: (laughs) And what Matthew Lund said was, it was a gripe. They were they were annoyed about it. Like they were like, it's more efficient if there was just a bathroom upstairs where we all work. But because they had to go downstairs, they had more moments of serendipity where they got to talk to each other and cross-functional teams who would never really talk to each other ended up talking to each other. Yeah, he also talked about how at Pixar one day a year, Mm
1: -hmm. the entire company was, you know, not shut down. Everyone had to come into work but they were split up into separate teams and teams from all different departments whether it was like accounting mixed with someone from storytelling someone you know that was more on the engineering side set design animation and they all had to have a conversation about how they could make Pixar better yeah what was Pixar not doing and by having you know someone who works in HR next to someone who is deep in animation or in storytelling they were able to kind of produce these unexpected creative inputs, Mm -hmm. right? Because that person who's deep in the storytelling side of Pixar doesn't expect to hear what maybe the person from HR has to say, uh, maybe doesn't have the same perspective Mm -hmm. as that person.
0: Yeah. The, the, The last thing, now I'm realizing there's one more thing. His, his talk was so good is he talked about every movie at Pixar operated like a startup where essentially he said like Monsters Inc. when he worked on that, that was a startup, Like they were starting with an investment, right? They had money, they had a base premise, and they had to solve all these problems to get to an end product. And I love that premise of thinking about your different formats, your different shows, your different ideas as startups and building teams around that scrappy startup. And the reason he was talking about it is because he said Pixar got to thousands of employees. And how do you still maintain that creativity and that that vibe of like a small scrappy creative team and he said well you have to look at all of your projects like startups yeah and they even went as
1: far as to you know separate different groups who are working on different movies he said there was a uh an external building and the team from monsters inc basically just existed in there like they were somewhat separate
0: yeah so if you guys want to check him out matthew lunn he's got talks on youtube that you can watch as well like ted talks um, he's a speaker, so you can catch some of that, but I would, I would recommend checking him out. Cause like I listening to people from Pixar to me, it's the company that relates so much to what we do as YouTubers that has built, you know, and has done this for years and years and years. So if you're trying to learn something about storytelling, about people who tell stories that reach millions and millions of people and that last forever, like Pixar is, is the company read creativity, Inc, check out Matthew Lunn. Okay. Now one of the other speakers that we had Uh, We're two people
1: from OpenAI. Now, OpenAI is the company responsible for ChatGPT, responsible for Dolly. They are the leaders, as as far as I know, when it comes to artificial intelligence and making that uh, artificial intelligence available to people and actually usable. I mean, a lot of creators that, Samir, you and I know, have been using ChatGPT to say, you know, write me a script Sure. To, to at least get like a first draft of what it could maybe look like. Or yeah. uh, I know different creators that have been using Dolly to mock up what a potential thumbnail could look like.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the wild thing is, I think like how much AI has taken over. I mean, from what they said, they said that when they released ChatGPT, it was like a researcher who released it. And he really didn't anticipate it would reach a million users in under a week. And that's what it did. It was four days to a million users and you know, it's one of the most accessible versions of artificial intelligence we've ever seen. We've never seen something that accessible. And I think one of the strangest things as we started to understand from them, all these different things was its implications when it comes to search. The fact that if you type anything into ChatGPT, it's giving you a more detailed answer than if you were type anything into search. And we'll get to why that matters. That's like a big deal for creators. But before that, I wanna talk a little bit about how AI works and how AI is going to work in the future for creators. You think you're ready to explain how AI works? Yeah, man. One session? Definitely, With the people from OpenAI, and you're ready to explain at least like a a high level macro view of how it works. Okay, give it I, a shot. I'll do, I'll do my best to support and help. you. I didn't understand it before. I didn't get it. I was like, "Where is it getting its information from?" Like when someone says, "Like where is it getting its information?" W- when it from? says, "Oh, we we put data into it," you're like what does that mean? How's it How's it pulling that out into like perfectly formulated sentences? So essentially, they explain to us this term deep learning, where you know they have these massive computers and they upload information into this computer. So let's just say they put in like a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand books, you know, transcribed into a computer and they upload all that content. And essentially the computer is taking all of those words from the books and creating a numerical token out of those words. What they then do is create patterns based on how much, how many times does this word show up next to that word? So let's just say like how many times does coffee show up next to morning? And it's actually going to be able to then say, okay, that those two words show up together all the time. And over time, like it gets better the more input you put into it at predicting how much those words show up next to each other. So then when you ask it a question, it's essentially spitting out a sequence based on the frequency that those tokens back at you.
1: You're so deep in the AI <laughs> algorithm. I actually
0: thought it was really simple when he explained it. Like I, I wrote that down and I was like, "Oh my god, that ex- that like, it makes so much sense. That's crazy." Yeah, I mean, I'm
1: I'm not right there with you.
0: I'll You're be not, honest. I, yeah, I mean, I I
1: do you remember w- when he showed that on screen? Yes, I think it's it's something that I think actually needs to be explained visually because yeah. it really is about how one thing, how far one thing can be. <laughs> how far one word or one topic is in relation to another and predicting sort of what will come next based on their correlation. I'm
0: just putting out some words here, man. No, no, also based on historical data. Like it's just saying like, I will predict that this is the thing that's going to come next based on this 100,000 books and the words and the sequences and patterns that exist in those. And what's crazy is every time you ask it something, it gets better and better and better. The most interesting thing that I think came out of this for me was recognizing that this this role of prompt engineer is going to come about in our space. What that means is like AI is only as good as its input. The input is only as good as the output. If you're good at typing stuff into ChatGPT, then you'll be good at receiving stuff from ChatGPT. But if you suck at typing stuff into there, Like I've typed some really bad prompts in there and it gives me really bad answers. As an example, I was using Dolly last night and an
1: input that I used was podcast cover art for a podcast hosted by a white guy and an Indian guy. (laughs) This is crazy. And it's pretty compelling. It spit out four different possible options for podcast cover art. It clearly uh, understands what podcast cover art looks like and it has sort of text Mm-hmm. on these little avatars that are gibberish, but it shows me different compositions that I could use if I wanted to design podcast art with you and I. I now have four options for like where we could be within this square, where the text could be, yeah, the I colors kind of like that, that could be used. There, like, you, the blue one. The blue one. Same. Yeah, yeah, the blue I like one's one my, the best. I like these two the best.
0: Yeah. I never I never understood that there could be like a square inside of there. Anyway, you guys all, can't see any of this. You can't so. see all this, yeah. but
1: all of this... I'll share it in the in the subreddit, but all of this stemmed from me writing that prompt. Podcast cover art for yeah. a podcast hosted by a white guy and an Indian guy. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine, this is my first time doing this. There are and there will be people who are way more talented at what to write and how to speak to a machine. Exactly. How to talk to machines. How to talk to machines. So, especially when it comes to, I think, thumbnail art, creators that want a storyboard.
0: Yeah, type in like... Uh extremely type in a hundred thousand dollar hotel room i just want to see what comes out of that because that's like a classic youtube right like or like really expensive airline flight i don't know
1: what about a youtube thumbnail about giving away money okay let's see if that works i'm not sure if that will
0: yeah how disappointing for all of you who are listening in your car right now we're like wow i want to see what what this looks like and we're just going to react to it right now and you're going to be like ah yeah that's what it would feel oh my gosh Oh my god So there are, there's text on these thumbnails. Who's this guy though? Like who are these people? These are just, this is like what AI thinks a human looks like. (laughs) That is so crazy. But that's the thing. I'm not very good at getting the image that I want. Right, right. Exactly. We're not great at this, but okay. Now type an underwater hotel room. Mainly because this is something that that happened at the spotter summit that we actually saw. Wow. Holy shit. That's insane. That one, that's it. That, like if you put that on a YouTube thumbnail, people are clicking on that. People are clicking on that.
1: People and the interesting are thing about these images that, that Samir and I are looking at that you can't see, unfortunately.
0: We have, to, we have to post this one in the subreddit. From our understanding is that if you generate this image, you own it. I don't know how that's going to, that, that seems insane. But yeah, you're right. It, it, that's what they told us. That if you generate the image, if you're the one who puts in the prompt, you own the image. Which again, if there's someone who's really talented at writing these prompts and getting very specific images,
1: that could be a role that's really valuable.
0: Yeah, I think the the role that's going to become more valuable is like, even if you're my thumbnail designer, I would prefer that you go out and find this image from AI and make a completely unique image that's really compelling using a prompt into Dali and then curate the best one, like no, have the eye to pick the best one. I'm still hiring you as a thumbnail designer. Like I'd actually prefer if you're really good with AI tools. So like, I think this fear of like AI is going to take our jobs in the short term, in my opinion, it's like I st- we still need someone to type in the prompt and you still need someone to curate it and, and select it. And I would just say if you're in this world of like writing, if you're in the world of, you know, thumbnail design, then just get really good with these tools. Like they are available. It's the same way that, you know, anyone who's been doing YouTube for 20 years or sorry, 20 years, 10 years or 12 years, they're really good at YouTube. And so start getting really good with AI tools right now.
1: Also something that I did not understand about open AI is that they're not just chat GPT, which is writing a text prompt to get text back. They're not just Dolly, which is writing mm-hmm. text to get images back. Uh, They have something called Jukebox, which is text to music. Yep. And so it makes me wonder what happens to music in some of these YouTube videos, especially if
0: you own that music once you write it in. They also have Whisper, which is transcription, Mm -hmm. which is like audio to text. Um, They also have Clip. Clip, to me, was really crazy. That was uh, the text to image. Or sorry, uh, yeah, text to image. Similar to Dali. If you type in Clip AI, that one was really crazy. All of these tools are really just like... Coming very quickly, it feels like this has been the biggest jump in artificial intelligence over the past six weeks that we've seen. Yeah. And what I didn't expect
1: was that all of these tools and all of these capabilities would remind me of the Adobe Creative Suite. Mm -hmm. The first time that I got Photoshop and I could alter images. Right. Illustrator and I could make logos and After Effects and I could make animations. Premiere and I could edit. It was like all of a sudden I had all these tools at my disposal to make a video or make something creative. And when I look at OpenAI and when they were telling us about all their different types of products, I was like, oh my gosh, if this is actually accessible to the public and people understand how to use it
0: and you own what you make, this is an incredible resource for creatives. Crazy. So now let's talk about the concept of search. I, I tease that a little bit. But when you come to the concept of search, ChatGPT, if you've played with it, yes, it can write you a script. That's really cool. But if you search on it, it also can give you really compelling outputs. Like if you're searching how to tie a tie and you put that into ChatGPT, it's gonna give you really detailed instructions. You can also not even just search things, but one of the examples is you know, uh, Andrew Main from, from OpenAI, he, typed, or he had a, a search that was noise is just a signal. And he typed that into ChatGPT and it gave him a d- detailed description of where that phrase comes from and explained the phrase typed it into Google and there was no response, no, no results. And what I started to realize is all of us as creators, as well as like what, what the internet is based on today is the premise that there are consumers or just people who are searching and then publishers who are creating those search results. That's the base premise of Google, right? Like that's what SEO is. Search engine optimization is because we as publishers are creating content that's supposed to be the search result. So if someone searches, you know, Mr. Beast on YouTube, our long form interview, we want it to be up there in search results and there's times where it is up there, right? And we're providing a search result or on Google. If someone types in plumber in my area, the reason that people pay for placement is because it, that you are the search result and i think that ai is the first time that there's an existential threat to search because the computer is just it taking in all the data and can give you a really detailed answer yeah what did we search for today we searched for you searched for asking what the history of the lacrosse network was right yeah that's what it was i was i
1: said explain yeah. the lacrosse network in simple terms which was our first company our first youtube channel and when you search it into google what will come up is articles that may talk about what, you know, the history of the lacrosse network is, but it's just a list of articles Mm -hmm. and videos. When you search it into chat GPT, it gives you just an answer, right? It just scrubs all of that data and puts together one concise answer. Mm-hmm. And that to me was the clear difference of like, oh, okay. So if I search Google, I have an option. I choose from those options. Yeah. But with chat GPT, it's just like, here's, here's the, the answer. answer. Yeah,
0: here it is. Here's the answer.
1: And it may be wrong. That's something I think that's important that they brought up that like it may be inaccurate.
0: Yeah. But it will give you an answer based on the prediction of the tokens and the sequences and the patterns. <laughs> of course. Yeah. back to yeah, the tokens class. and the sequences. Okay. So a realistic search that I did the other day, um, how to cut a pineapple. Let's do that into chat GPT. Another thing that they said at OpenAI, which I really liked, is that you can actually use AI to push back on your ideas, which I really liked. So they said, if you have a video idea, you can say, tell me what's boring about this idea. Put that into ChatGPT and it'll actually come back to you with like poking holes in your idea. And again, they said it may not be right. Right, but it'll it'll give you something to think about. Yeah. Or like, tell me what's wrong with this business plan (laughs) and it will actually come back. Okay, I typed in how to cut a pineapple, gave me a six-step process. Okay. Yeah. I mean this is this is this is good. I like this. A lot of different ways to cut a pineapple though. I learned that from TikTok. There are. Yeah, there's a lot. And a mango also.
1: I don't know. I searched how to cut a pineapple on Google and a video popped up. Right. The easiest way to cut a pineapple.
0: Yeah. That's compelling. And you know what I really like about how this is happening on on Google? And I don't know if this is good for creators or not, but have you noticed this? It actually just it it, it cuts into exactly where it happens like this video it shows that that it starts at 20 seconds that means there's probably a 20 second intro of someone being like hey what's up i'm ethan i'm here to teach you how to cut a pineapple and google's like we don't need that part
1: you know yeah that is interesting that that i searched how to cut a pineapple and there's and in the google search results there's this big thumbnail mm -hmm. of the video uh but at the bottom there's a timeline and then it just highlights one part of the video, which is so interesting that it knows. That's crazy! That the beginning, you don't need the beginning. You need oh, you want to cut more. a pineapple? Yeah, this yeah.
0: this bozo who made this video. <laughs> Forget about this. Waited intro. twenty yeah, seconds yeah. to actually show you. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, okay, so like th- those were those were two really big um, sessions that we had. We also had more sessions. We got to chat with uh, one of the best poker players in the world, Liv Beret, who who was uh, talking to us about decision making and high stakes decision making. I really loved one thing. I just want to share one thing she said it was about like writing down percentage probability of your goals. I thought that was really cool. So like, Hey, I want to reach a hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. And I think there's a 94% chance that that happens. And then, you know, addressing your uncertainty, like so much of decision-making has to do with managing uncertainty. Um, so I, I really like that. I would just say like the event, was a 10 out of 10, not on the YouTube scale, but on like the regular human scale, like a true 10 out of 10 event. One out of 10 on the YouTube you scale. One out of 10 on the YouTube scale. Spotter did a great job bringing all of us together and and really like making a creative space. Check out Spotter if you guys want to see some of the case studies we talked about, or if you're interested in, in financing as a creator, check out Spotter. And then they're going to be a big partner of ours this year. So you'll be hearing about them a lot more on the YouTube channel, on the newsletter, here on the show, like y- you will be hearing about Spotter. So if you reach out to them, tell them we sent you. All right. Questions? Questions? Questions. My computer just died. So we are going to have to do the questions.
1: All right. This is an interesting one. Let's actually start with this. Does any agency represent Colin and Samir? I can understand Colin and Samir get thousands of promotional emails or partnership emails requests daily to cut the noise. Is there any way to contact an agency that will get us in touch with Colin and Samir for partnership or
0: promoting product purposes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are represented by United Talent Agency. Uh, you can email. Colin and Samir team at unitedtalent.com. And then if you want to partner with us on the newsletter, you can email partnerships at publishprojects.com. So, yeah, we have two groups. You know, we work with, uh, we have partners in in the newsletter. Uh, So if you're interested in working with the newsletter, if you're interested in working with us, reach out to United Talent Agency. Here's one. What is
1: hashtag YouTube new wave? I've seen this hashtag in some videos and I feel like I've missed something obvious but can't find much on Google about it.
0: Yeah, there's some answers here, but... Uh, Should I
1: ask chat GPT?
0: <laughs> sure. I mean, there's, there's a group of creators. Ryan Ng is one of them. Wholesome Simon is another one. Yep. Max Reisinger, I think his name is. Yep. Uh, but this this group of creators essentially is is going against the the YouTube meta, right? Like not doing the challenge videos, really doing more almost like, I would say like Yes Theory style content, right? More adventure films, more like personal development, more um, self-discovery. Feels like the garden state of YouTube. Would you say that?
1: Yeah. I also like what you said earlier, the death cap for it's cutie. It's the death
0: cap for cutie. It's like the, the emo music of of YouTube videos, which, mind you, I want to be clear, I love death cap for cutie, so I'm not saying that is a bad thing. All right, ChatGPT, what did I oh, say? Oh, ChatGPT
1: got it right. Really? Hashtag YouTube new wave is a hashtag used on the social media platform YouTube to promote content created by a group of up-and-coming content creators on the platform. It is typically used by creators in the music and entertainment industry, but can also be used by creators in other niches. The hashtag is used to help these creators gain more visibility and exposure on the platform and to help them connect with other creators and potential collaborators. Like,
0: what? Yeah, How that, does ChatGPT That's kind of crazy, but yeah, it is up-and-coming that. creators. Um, let,
1: let me search Google, what is YouTube New Wave. Yeah. Just our Reddit post Oh wow! With the question.
0: Our, oh, see, but that's what I mean. Like, we are providing search results. It's us, man. Top one, it's SEO. Me. Let's go. Hi, I'm the search result. It's me. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you haven't checked it out, check out some of those creators. It's really fun to watch. They're a bunch of young creators and finding themselves on the platform. It really feels like a coming-of-age story that you're watching. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really fun. Um also Sam Reed I just want to give you a shout out on on the subreddit really nailed my cadence of how I do intros on podcasts and it made me really uncomfortable All right, today I've got a question for people in R slash Colin and Samir. I'm curious if anybody else has picked up on a distinct cadence in Samir's speech. He starts his sentences off higher and at a faster pace and finishes them off more slow and deliberate. I've actually been doing it this entire time to see if I could imitate it. I don't really hear it in unscripted content, but always hear it at the top of a podcast episode. All right, I don't know how long I can keep doing that, but. If you've picked up on that, comment below and let me know. Samir, if you see this, um, it's all love, man. I just feel like when you listen to someone's voice for like hundreds of hours, you start to pick up on patterns in their speech. All right. Big fan. Thank you guys for listening. So I don't know what to do about that. When I watched it, I kind of wanted to end my career in podcasting. He's got your number, man. Yeah, he's got my number. Um, But I appreciate that someone's paying attention to my cadence. All
1: right. All right, here's one of my favorite questions from Luke May. Will there be too much competition in 50 years time? Are we ever going to hit a point where there's so much good quality, funny content across YouTube, Netflix, etc., to where there's not much point in watching a growing creator with lower quality? Obviously, we'll care a bit about content that covers current topics, but surely it will be more difficult to stand out in time, right? For example, I think that Ryan Trahan's Penny series could still be enjoyed in 50 years time. People watching YouTube in 2073 We'll have the high production videos we watch today as well as another 50 years worth of high quality content to watch which would make it a lot more difficult for creators to grow and stand out in the future uh no i don't think there will be too much competition in 50 years time because people come to youtube to for the most part watch things that are niche sure there are creators like mr beast who get a hundred million views but there are billions of views that are taking place on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Like even that is is in a way, there are going to always be audiences that are not served, that don't feel like their needs are met.
0: I would say like in this moment though, personally, I'm like an avid YouTube viewer. I love watching YouTube. I watch YouTube every night. And I have found myself, maybe because it's January and a lot of creators don't post in January. You know, and this this has to do with another question in the subreddit, which was about um, RPMs dropping in January and monetization being low in January. But I would say that I'm not that entertained by YouTube content right now. I I feel like I can look at a thumbnail and predict what the video is going to be like too easily in this moment. And I think, you know, with the, back to the AI conversation with the amount that AI might impact YouTube content getting way and way more similar and more predictable. I actually think in 50 years time, it's hard to predict where YouTube's gonna be or where uh, online storytelling is gonna be at that time. But I am feeling like there's a potential push back into live programming or live experiences or even live streaming. Um, it's, it tends to be more interesting to me right now when it's authentically live. You don't know what's gonna happen. There's, you're watching the, this person do this craft live. Like the craft of editing is, is very interesting to me, but not when it's done so similarly to everybody, to else. everybody else. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see how good you are at replicating someone else's video. And I think the the path to original ideas right now is challenging or original styles, cadences, formats, you know, back to what Matthew Lund said around oxytocin and dopamine. If everyone is doing it the exact same way, it's not different anymore.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of a quote that I can't find right now, but I'm sure you can help me with just maybe it was with Ryan Holiday about writing a book and talking about how you need to go live an interesting life first before mm-hmm. you can write a book. And I think that's with, a
0: mix. That's a mix of Ryan Holiday and James Clear. Okay. Yeah.
1: I figured you could clear it up yeah. with uh, with the pace that people are putting out content on YouTube right now. It's tough to go live that interesting life or have that story. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things about discovering Casey Neistat for the first time was the fact that he had lived this entire life and had this whole wealth of experiences that he now could share.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. In addition,
1: in addition to things that he was going through for the first time, uh, in real time, he also had this back catalog essentially. Yeah, man. Of stories.
0: He, like, I loved when he would pull up like the hard drive and just pull out this crazy photo. He was like, "I was in Afghanistan with my friend Scott Campbell,
1: who's a tattoo artist, and what we wanted to do was literally set up a tattoo parlor in the war zone in Afghanistan."
0: And you were like, "What?
1: <laughs> What's that story?"
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, totally. So the mix. Imagine if everyone didn't start YouTube until they were, you know, 35. Way more interesting. Unless you're us and you've just worked for the entire time. <laughs> no, we've had interesting experiences. The What, what James Clear said uh, is he was like, he was itching to write a book. He really wanted to write a book. And another author friend of his said, well, first you have to live the book. Then you can write it. Ah. And I really like that. And then Ryan Holiday talked about to be a great writer, you have to live an interesting life. So... Yeah, I two sh- different things. I should have just asked ChatGPT for that quote. Pretty similar stuff there.
1: Okay, our last question here. Who's this from? This is from Fairbairn <laughs> Films Sub. Nice. That's what happens when you try and read these names from from the subreddit. The subby. Okay, the question is, what is the typical business model of a successful podcast? Do platforms like Apple Music pay podcasters differently than artists? What are the different methods of advertising? I've noticed that some ads are embedded within the podcast and presented by the podcaster, while others are third-party ads Mm -hmm. placed in the video by the platform.
0: Man, podcasting is changing a lot right now. Because also, when you think about a podcast, it kind of means a video podcast right now. For me, at least, I, I don't. Yeah. I think if you're going to be starting a podcast, you kind of have to be prepared to film it. Mainly,
1: I think, just because you want to take advantage of search. Right, right. And again, SEO, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some podcasts, of course, smartless, DAX with Armchair Expert. But some of these podcasts that have taken off have started by essentially celebrities that already have a lot of distribution. Right. Who can have other celebrities on, who have a ton of distribution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you're, you know, starting fresh, you really need to take advantage of search and SEO.
0: Mm-hmm. So number one is consistent output is your number one part of the business model. Can you get out content consistently? Number two, do you have an audience? Can you find an audience? Is it in a niche or is it a mass audience? Are you getting, you know, 100,000 downloads per episode? Or are you getting 10,000 downloads per episode? You know, where are you on that scale? There's going to be different models for that. Now, what you're talking about, once you get to advertising is going to be your, you know, base business model, but memberships is also a business model that has become very prominent in podcasting, especially in the world of comedy, meaning Patreon or any other membership website. So on the advertising side, you know, what we've talked about, you can get a title sponsor for the show. One sponsor comes in, sponsors the whole show. That's the sponsor. You can join a network like what we had with LinkedIn Podcast Network. You can join a network. They'll sell the ads. They'll play the ads, you know, in between uh, the breaks in the episode. You can also do dynamic ad insertion. Now, dynamic ad insertion is the same thing. Imagine YouTube ads, like how when you make a YouTube video, you can put a mid-roll ad in the middle and it'll just play whatever ad YouTube wants to serve to that audience. You can also do that in podcasting. You know, with with platforms like Anchor, if you're not familiar with Anchor, go to anchor.fm. You can sign up there and you can actually put ad slots into your podcast. The challenge there is that you have to have a massive audience to do dynamic ad insertion. Like you really cannot have a small niche audience and do dynamic ad insertion. Now the the question becomes how this now plays on video and audio when you have the audio feed as well as a YouTube video. And now you have like Spotify which, you know, has dynamic ad insertion through Anchor and now Megaphone. Then you're distributing on YouTube, then you're distributing on Apple which doesn't have dynamic ad insertion. You know, like there's so many different models of podcasts. I would say, you know, your base model is going to be advertising. If it's niche title sponsor, and then explore memberships. If it's mass explore dynamic ad insertion or a podcast network. Hopefully that was helpful.
1: Thank you to everyone who sent us questions. If you want to send us questions, you can always do it on r slash and Samir. You can do it on Twitter. We always appreciate it. Colin, you're getting your
0: wisdom teeth out tomorrow.
1: That that's a gripe that I was going to bring up. Yeah. Honestly, do it. Wisdom teeth just in general. Yeah. Yeah. Teeth that you don't need. And have to be taken out.
0: Yeah. Why would you put those in there, guys? Whoever's guys, running, Whoever's, whoever's running, running the show running here. Show. Yeah, team. When it comes to, you know. <laughs> to human evolution. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I
1: I don't know. It just, it's rude. Yeah. How dare you? And um, I've made it this far. Mm-hmm. I've been totally fine. Sure. All of a sudden, four teeth I didn't even really know about. But that I can't even really
0: see. I can't see them. But I got to get them taken out. <sighs> that's upsetting.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. upsetting.
0: All right. Well, we'll find out how that went (laughs) next week on the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you guys have a question for us, r slash Colin and Samir. Oh my God, I can hear the cadence. Oh boy. Everyone knows how exactly how I, I can't even speak anymore because of that. Lastly, shout out to everybody in the deep end. The deep end. Make sure to wear your swimmies because
1: your feet can't touch the ground. All right. See you next time.